Al Jazeera podcast. Israel's parliament has approved a law to weaken the power of the Supreme Court. There have been mass demonstrations by opponents who say it gives the far-right government unlimited control. Can it be overturned? And what's the impact for Palestinians suffering daily Israeli brutality? Hello, I'm Adrian Finnegan, and this is the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help to define major global stories. So let's bring in our guests for today's discussion. We're joined from Haifa by Diana Butu, a lawyer and former legal advisor to the Palestine Liberation Organization. From Tel Aviv, Judy Maltz, senior correspondent for the Haaretz newspaper. She's been closely following the protests in Israel. And also joining us from Haifa, Hassan Jabarin, lawyer and founder of Adala, the legal center for Arab minority rights in Israel. He's litigated landmark constitutional cases before the Israeli Supreme Court on behalf of Palestinians. A warm welcome to you all. Uh, Diana, let's start with you. Is Israel heading towards dictatorship? It's always been a dictatorship when it comes to Palestinians. Look, I think it's very important to keep in mind that, that we're talking about changes to the judiciary, a judiciary that has never really served the interests of Palestinians or that has ever put any checks and balances on the Israeli government when it comes to Palestinians. This is a Supreme Court that has allowed for torture of Palestinians. It's a Supreme Court that has allowed for the destruction of Palestinian homes. It's a Supreme Court that has green-lighted um, the construction of settlements, the construction of the wall, all of these measures that are illegal. And for Palestinians, this has always been a dictatorship and will continue to be a dictatorship. The question now is whether there will be anybody that will step in and actually recognize it for what it is and do something to stop Israel. And I'm afraid that it won't. Judy, what do you make of that? Can the state of Israel survive this crisis? Will all parties eventually be forced to come to the table and negotiate a, a way forward here? I mean, the law has, has passed, all right? So, so what would a compromise look like? Well, I don't see there being a, a compromise on this particular law right now, even though Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu went on television last night a few hours after it was passed and said, basically gaslighting the public, that um, he's open to compromise after it's all been passed. Uh, this it, It's important to remember that this uh, uh, law that was passed yesterday in the Israeli parliament is only one part of a big package that the government has been trying to get through since January. This government, which is the most religious right-wing and extremist government in Israel's history, and the three other parts it has not managed to push through, and that is thanks to this protest movement. It is the biggest a, po a popular uprising in Israeli history. And one thing I'd like to say is I think that thanks to this protest movement, many Israelis who previously ignored the occupation, did not think about it, 
uh, preferred not to look beyond the green line, um, are starting to understand, it's a slow process, but it's starting to sink in that all these things are, are connected and that the forces who are promoting the occupation and the settlement are the same forces that are behind this government plan to undermine democracy within the green line. Hassan, what do you make of what you just heard? Would you agree with that? Uh, I think that what would happen now about the status of the legal status of the Palestinians in the, uh, both sides of the Green Line, inside the Green Line and in the Occupied Territories of 1967, legally their status would be worse than now. Why? Because uh, it's true that the Israeli Supreme Court cannot be the defender and wasn't the defender of the Palestinian rights, in, either in the inside the Green Line and in the OBTs and in the OBT area, the Israeli Supreme Court confirmed the major issues that refer to uh, the Palestinian there, confirmed the siege of Gaza, confirmed the administrative detention policy, and never accepted one case against administrative uh, detention, uh, never accepted one case against home demolition, never accepted uh, serious cases regarding checkpoints and uh, limiting the rights of uh, the Palestinian movement there. And inside Israel also, most of the cases in the last 10 years were most of them denied because the Supreme Court already became uh, conservative and has been conservative more in the last 10 years and more toward the right wing. But the situation would be worse. Well, think, we I cannot think, say, yeah. we I, cannot I, say that legally the same before and after because the Palestinians is the weakest political side in this game. They are not representative in the decision maker level, and they are not part of the administrative detention, and Israeli policy is racist against them, and thus their situation will be worse. And this legal amendment changes, create a new climate, a new legal climate that said that Israel government has free hand to decide any decision that they wish against the Palestinians. And the Israel Supreme Court shouldn't intervene, and legal barrier shouldn't be there. This is the dangerous situation. But this at least gives us a new window that we can address the international community, address the ICC, and declare Israel all the time claims that as independent judiciary, and thus there is no need to, to for the international community to intervene. Now, this government showed that there is no any okay. independent uh, independency for the judiciary, thus the international community through its criminal tri tribunals must intervene uh, in order to defend okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll get on to, to international community reaction and, 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 and how they could intervene in, in a few minutes. But first, Diana, even if within Israel some sort of compromise could be found to defuse this crisis, with far-right parties having moved from the, from the margins to the centre of power, how long before something like this is going to happen again? I don't think this will be something that will be overturned. Let me be very clear here, Adrian. 
You know, the, the settler movement has been a movement that has been rising in power for decades now. And it's been rising in power because it's never seen a red light. It's never seen a red light from the international community, and it's never seen a red light from within Israeli society itself. The Israeli society has been permissive when it comes to settlements. The settlements are so much part of the, of the landscape now. Israeli soldiers don't think twice about going and shooting Palestinian kids. It's just so ingrained in, the occupation is so ingrained inside Israel, and the settlement movement has become emboldened. Now, this judicial reform, overhaul, whatever it is that you want to call it, this process actually is not new. It began uh, back in 2009, 2010. And the reason that it began was because they didn't want to see, the right wing didn't want to see anybody putting the brakes on any Israeli activity. They wanted to make sure that the settlements could continue to grow, that Israeli action could be unchecked. And that's where we are today. So unless we get to a point where Israeli society is not just recognizing the connection between this judicial overhaul process and the occupation, but actually doing something about it, not just going out and protesting, but actually demanding an end to the occupation, I'm afraid that we're going to continue to see this type of legislation go uh, forward because the settlement block is now one of the largest blocks that exists within the Israeli electorate and is only continuing to grow because it has never seen a red light from anyone around the, around the world or around the country. Judy, just to play devil's advocate for a moment, there are those who would argue that the Supreme Court is an unelected elite. They take decisions along liberal lines and not according to the way that many people in Israel uh, think or vote. To the law supporters, it's long overdue. It's, it's, is it simply the way in which it's been done and the makeup of the government that has implemented it that people are upset about here, not the rationale behind it? I think that's, that it, the way it's been done that has upset people, you will see a lot of people at the protests, um, particular, particularly people from the right wing in Israel, the more moderate right wing, who will say, I also believe there is room for improvement. For example, many people believe that the the Supreme Court is too um, Ashkenazi, um, too elitist, that there are not enough um, representatives of Mizrahi Jews or the Arab society in the Supreme Court. Um, and I think a lot of people would, might agree with that and probably do. It was the way they went about this, the fact that this was never an issue in the last election campaign. We had elections on November 1st. This was never an issue. The Likud uh, ran on a campaign of um, more security, uh, lowering the cost of living, no talk about a judicial overhaul or reform or whatever you want to call it. So I, th I think it's the way they did it. It was this attitude, ah, we finally have enough people to create a full right-wing government. We don't need the left, we don't need the center, and now we can do whatever we want. Which is not democracy, but of, I, of course. Uh, uh, 
And I just one, one thought. To what extent is, is Netanyahu really in the driving seat here, or is he uh, riding a roller coaster that he can't control now, having formed a coalition with these extreme right-wing political groups? Well, well, some people will tell you now that he, he really is out of control. Um, as you probably heard, he's, he's not well physically right now. He just had a pacemaker put in, and that was a week after he passed out, claiming to have been dehydrated. And if you look at him, he, he doesn't look to be in, in very good health right now. Um, and yesterday, he, he basically uh, capitulated. There, there was talk of a possible compromise that could have prevented all of this. And he basically capitulated to the very, very, very far-right fringe of his government, who warned him that uh, if he did not go through with this legislation, they would pull out. And he was afraid if they would pull out, there would be a new election. But most of us know how that his far-right partners, they have no alternative either. It's not like they're going to hook up with the left or the center here and form an alternative government. They need him just like he needs them. Um, is he in control? It doesn't look like it right now, but we have to remember that he is the person, he knew what he was doing when he appointed some of these extremely radical extremist characters to very, very important positions in his cabinet. Uh, he, he, he had to have known that. Hassan, let's, let's talk more about the impact this new law will have on, on Palestinians living under constant Israeli oppression. Um, it, it's going to make it easier for the government to pursue policies that harm Palestinians, isn't it? And, of course, Palestinians won't be able to mount challenges in the Supreme Court. Uh, but does that matter, given that the court has so rarely come down on the side of Palestinians anyway? Yeah, that, uh, we noticed in the last 10 years that... Uh, uh, the Israeli Supreme Court regarding the Palestinian cases in, inside the Green Line became very, very conservative and mostly uh, deny the cases of uh, the Palestinian uh, citizen. In fact, the attack against the Israeli Supreme Court by the right wing has been uh, strongly in the last 10 years. And what that made uh, the Supreme Court to be more political in, in deciding the Palestinian cases, meaning to be more political than to consider what's the political effect of its decision on Israeli public. This is why we can explain that many of the cases were denied by the Israeli Supreme Court that the the Israeli Supreme Court doesn't want to be seen and perceived as pro-Palestinian by the Israel right wing, and also doesn't want to give uh, uh, power to empower the right wing uh, with uh, arguments against the status of Israeli Supreme Court, especially when we speak about a society that discrimination within this society against the Palestinians is institutional. This is why the Palestinians paid the price of the critique against the Israeli Supreme Court in the last 10 years. Thus, we are not going to feel that the situation became totally different tomorrow than yesterday. 
because we already left the situation of political court, court that deciding our cases based on political uh, situation. When the political situation is easier, uh, maybe we, the Supreme Court tend to accept cases of us. When it's uh, difficult, the Supreme Court rejects our case. There is one field that I can say that the Supreme Court really uh, uh, give a re good remedy to our cases. And those cases that regarding the uh, right of the Palestinian to participate in the election of the Knesset, all the time the right wing tried to limit its right, and we appeal to the Israeli Supreme Court, and the Israeli Supreme Court accept those uh, cases, those, these appeals. And one explanation for that, that Israeli Supreme Court is aware that if the Palestinians won't be in the Knesset, the Knesset becomes synagogue, become like for Jews only, meaning Israel will be perceived as clearly apartheid state. Thus, the Supreme Court defend this right and knowingly that uh, uh, the Israeli consensus Israeli-Jewish consensus will support those decisions because they want Israel to continue to have the image internationally as a democratic state. The only aspect that makes Israel look as democracy is the presence of the Palestinians in its parliament. Without that, of course, clearly will be perceived as a apartheid state. And regarding the merit of uh, reasonableness. Uh, in, in the cases of us as Palestinians, citizens of Israel, uh, the Supreme Court uh, examined what reasonable and what, what unreasonable based on the Israeli-Jewish consensus, yes. meaning if we ask to the court to decide that there, there is a administrative decision that this decision is extremely okay. unreasonable, mm -hmm. the court must see it as unreasonable, not on its eyes only, okay. also on the uh, eye of okay. the consensus. Uh, okay. Hassan, so, this is why uh, we don't have such Hassan, a lot of cases. Hassan, like I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, uh, but time is tight here, so I, I, I just want to put a question to Diana. Uh, where's the Palestinian leadership in all of this? Why, why so quiet? Why are Palestinians quiet? Yeah. Because it doesn't actually, at the end of the day, concern us. You know, when you, as a Palestinian who, who is living in this system, are asked to go to a protest and see a, a sea of Israeli flags, this is the very flag of our oppression, of our dispossession. It's the flag that is put on the bulldozers. It's the flag that is used when when uh, houses are destroyed. It's the flag that was what that gets flown over uh, destroyed villages. Um, this is not something that Palestinians want to be part of because this is an internal debate that they have to figure out for themselves. Yes, we as Palestinians are affected because we're the most marginal of marginal groups, but at the end of the day, we've been affected by this now for 75 years, and the idea that somehow I'm supposed to 
protest in favor of democracy when I, as a Palestinian, have never seen a day of democracy or a day of self-determination living as a Palestinian under Israeli military rule is, is not only laughable, but it's actually kind of offensive. Um, I think at the end of the day, the bigger issue is whether the international community is going to get involved. And one thing that has been clear is that Israel has been a country that has always tried to uh, look as though it's legitimate and as though it's based on legality. And now we see that it's neither legitimate nor based on legality. And now's the time for the international community to step in and actually do something. This is why Palestinians have been calling for boycotting Israel, because we see that it's not legitimate. We see that it's not legal. And the only means that should be used is to actually okay. uh, uh, ostracize Israel, something, by the way, that former Israeli prime ministers are now calling for as well. Yeah. Judy, uh, President Biden called the passing of the bill unfortunate. Given the range of threats and challenges confronting Israel right now, it doesn't make sense for Israeli leaders to rush this. The focus should be on pulling people together and finding consensus, he said, ahead of the vote, and yet they passed it anyway. Does the opinion of the US president, with all of the military aid and support it provides, count for nothing in Israel these days? It counts for nothing, I guess, as far as um, Netanyahu is concerned. Um, but, but in this regard, um, I, I want to say something interesting that I've uh, noticed for the first time at the protests, and this is something you would have never seen before, are um, signs that Israelis are holding up asking Biden to make American aid, the continuation of American aid, conditional on Netanyahu throwing out this judicial overhaul. And I'm telling you that this is, this is a feeling that is shared by growing numbers in the progressive camp in Israel, that it wouldn't be such a bad thing if Americans cut off aid now, if that is the thing that could force Netanyahu's hand. Hassan, do you think that's going to happen? Look, of course, I think that this protest uh, make many changes uh, and will create, uh, hopefully, I am optimistic always. You, you cannot be human rights lawyer without being optimistic. I think it will change the uh, some of the aspect on the Israeli political consciousness. The fact that now Israeli, uh, many Israeli groups uh, knows and aware that uh, the pressure of international community is significant and important to change uh, internal uh, policy, internal national policy. Before, when we, as a human rights organization, we ask advocate for international advocate, uh, international intervention, this was perceived by now the protester group. Okay. What they are protesting for, that something against uh, the existence of the state. Okay. Even some of them, they perceive it as anti-Semitic. But today, we are seeing that it's legitimate. Uh, okay. Many aspects of the BTS also Hassan, uh, will be perceived uh, Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry again to cut you off, Diana. I've got, we've got about a, a minute left. Uh, one final question to you. You heard what, what, what Judy was saying. You were talking about the time for international intervention is, is now, and Judy was saying that uh, you know, people want to make uh, aid... Uh, USAID conditional upon Netanyahu doing the right thing. I mean, how should the international community 
intervene. Who should be intervening? Uh, how is it that they could intervene? Look, they could be boycotting Israel. The, the mere fact that they're now looking at this with concern and we hear that these people are also making the same calls means that, that the, the environment is ripe to hold Israel to account. It can do so by imposing sanctions. It can do so by boycotting this government. Uh, we've said it from the, since the beginning that when this government was first elected, including based on the individuals who were there. And yet the world continues to stay silent. Okay. If there is a time, it is now. OK, Diana, many thanks indeed. Thank you to you all, Diana Butu, Judy Maltz and uh, Hassan Jabarin uh, for being with us today. And that's it. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Sarah Hayrat, Abla Kla and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Yasir Rahmani. The programme was edited by Vishnu Sheila, Khaled Sultan and Joda Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. And thanks for listening. Tune in again on Wednesday for our next edition.